Listen, man, tonight is different, and uh, it's different for a reason, because we thought we would take the last week of this series, right? We've been talking about this whole idea of more than friends, and um, we've been answering some different questions, talking about some different things, and I thought it would be very uh, beneficial for all of us in the room to, to be able to hear from a couple different perspectives tonight on some different questions. So let me, let me just get us started. Let me give you a thought. If you're taking notes, you can kind of fill this in on your outline. It's really simple. Thinking leads to curiosity, and curiosity leads to questions, right? We all have questions that we're asking that you may be asking or that you may be wondering about when it comes to relationships. And so this whole series, right, has been centered on Let's look at relationships with the opposite gender the way that God designed us to have them. And so here's what, here's what our goal is tonight. Our goal is not to make you feel uncomfortable. Our goal is not to answer all the questions you have, because there's no way we could do that, because you guys probably have thousands of questions, right? Maybe not that many, but you have plenty. And so maybe you can use some of the time tonight in your small group. Maybe you guys have some questions you want to kind of go in. Um, in that time, but we thought, man, there are a few that we want to that we want to address, we want to answer, and we hope that it is helpful for you tonight. So that's why this whole bulletin is blank because you can write down whatever you want, whatever kind of shouts out to you. But before we get started, I, I think it's important to know: Did you guys know that Casey actually has an awesome boyfriend? His name is David. Yes. Does that not just look like a, just a model, model pair of people right there? I'm buzzing. Come on. He's great. And so I thought, you know, just to get things started, I thought I would ask Casey a few questions. Oh, God. Just about David and, and their relationship. So, Casey, here's a question. I would love to know. I feel like my face is so red right I would now. love to know one thing, just one, okay. that attracted you to David first. Well, we were really good friends first before like we even started dating or anything like that. But um, this is gonna sound like such a Bible answer, but honestly, like he loves Jesus Amen. so much, and that was like the first thing. Once I started, like, oh, he's cute, and then it was immediately Jesus. Like he just is so into and like he's so intense about his time with the Lord. And uh, I mean, you guys are probably like, okay, come on, you're a pastor, but it's true. He loves the Lord a whole lot, and that reflects in how he treats me. Ladies, y'all taking some notes? Take notes. Y'all taking some notes? Write down. Here's a question. Here's a question. What is, this is the last one, what is one of your favorite dates that you guys have gone on? Maybe just tell us where you went or yeah. something just simple like that. Yeah. Uh, our first date was Christmas at the zoo in Indianapolis. They do a thing where they decorate with all Christmas lights and all that kind of stuff. So it was just fun getting to walk around. There weren't a ton of animals because it's cold in Indiana, but the Christmas lights were really pretty. So it was just a memorable first first go. But Stephen, you're married and you I have know. been. Woo. There it is. There she and is. This is my wife. Look at her. Yes. We love Erin. She's the She's best. Amazing. So I want to know the same thing. I mean, yeah. you guys are married for over a year, almost a year and a half ish, probably. Yes. Um. So what was like the first thing? That is a great question, Casey. There's so many things that I could say. 
to you guys tonight, but I would really, I would really say the same thing. I would say that she had a relationship with God. Let me say it like this: that inspired me to get closer to God myself. So she challenged me. She supported the ministry, obviously that I that I that, that God's given me. Um, but she really supported that and challenged me to step into deeper waters with God too. So that's a huge thing about our relationship. Yeah. And your favorite date that you've favorite ever date. been, you've probably been on a lot, yeah, but favorite one ever. Yeah, we do a date night every week, and um, so that's a really hard question. But I'll say this, we went to the uh, the Billmore house. Anybody ever been to the Billmore house? Yeah, so we went at Christmas time. Oh, the one in North Carolina? Yeah. Okay, I was like, what? And one of our favorite things as uh, a couple is Christmas lights. And uh, so I'm kind of like copying you right but it was awesome. And then I'll just, I'll just say another one. We went to a Braves game. Anybody Braves game? Come on. And it was awesome because my wife loves sports. She loves sports. So it's really cool. And uh, all that good stuff. So well, here's what we want to do tonight. We just wanted you to get to know a little bit about us. Um, but here's what I want to do. We want to answer a few questions. And, uh, and so here's the thing. Some of you, maybe you've asked this question, maybe you've never asked this question before. Maybe you've got a friend that's asked this question, and, uh, and so we want to just get started. So here's the first one that we want to jump into tonight, and it's really simple. What is the point, it's going to come up here, what is the point and the purpose of dating, right? What is the point and the purpose of dating? I'm going to make this real quick, right, because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week. There's really nothing in the Bible about dating. Like, it doesn't really talk about dating. I told you guys last week, a lot of the relationships in Bible times were kind of arranged marriages, if you will, right? And so, and so dating is not necessarily talked about, but there are principles in Scripture that talk about things like dating. So there's a couple things that I would encourage you to think about when you begin to date. Now, again... Our conviction is that in middle school, you should just kind of focus on being a good friend to those of the opposite gender. But here's a couple things that are come on the, going to come on the screen. One is they need to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? That is the most important thing. We talked about this last week. Love God more than they like you. Secondly, um, there it is. Love God more than they like you, right? That their relationship with God is most important. And the last thing is the goal is marriage. See, we date to get to marriage. And so you're asking yourself, wait, I'm in seventh grade. I'm not ready to get married. Right. That's right. Which is why we encourage you to think about waiting to date in this time. And so here's another question that I think both Casey and I hit on. And here it is. Does the person that you're dating, do they encourage you in your relationship with God? Do they strengthen your relationship with God, or do they not? So that's a question to consider when it comes to dating and the purpose of dating. Ultimately, the purpose is marriage, and I would say another purpose is for someone to strengthen your relationship with God, help you to get closer in your relationship with God. Kind of a new idea. Um, fun fact: started in like 
seven. Drop mic. Um, but to you guys, that's probably like, wow, that's actually a long time ago. But when you think about the whole scheme of history and time, that's super recent. And so dating has been new. It used to be arranged, like Stephen said, your parents would choose who you married. Um, courting was a thing for a while where you couldn't go on a date by yourself. You have to go like with chaperones. Your parents are fully involved. Then dating, and now we've got like online dating and Tinder and all that stuff. But here's the thing. It doesn't directly say and talk about dating in scripture, but like Stephen said again, there are principles in which we can follow as we date and as we work towards um, bettering ourselves um, and working towards our Christ-centered relationship. And so um, the, I, the question of, is it okay to date in middle school? There's no right or wrong answer, but I'm going to tell you my opinion. Y'all can't even drive, so <laughs> you don't really need to be dating right now. <laughs> but seriously, guys, sorry, that was a joke. But seriously, you guys have enough stuff going on. This is a, such a key time. Guys, listen up. I need you to listen to this because this is important. You've got enough stuff going on in your own mind and heart, and you're growing so much that this is your time to focus on yourself and becoming the best version of yourself. And like one of our bottom lines for this series was rather than trying to find the right person, focus on becoming the right person. Become the best version of yourself. Become and discover more of who Christ has created you to be. Guys, that is what this season is about. Right now, middle school probably feels long, but guys, it's such a small part of your whole life, and you have plenty of time to find that person. Right now, just embrace that God loves you, and pour into that, and learn more, and become the best version of yourself. Become the right person before you start trying to find the right person. Boom. That's good. That's good. Yeah. All right, let's go to another question. Here's another question. Is it okay to date a non-Christian? Why does it matter if they are Christian or not? So that's a great question. Maybe you guys have asked that. Maybe that's something that you've been faced with, right? Sometimes you're trying to get to know someone of the opposite gender, and you don't really know if they know Christ or not. Here's what I would say. Based on what Casey just said, based on what I said before that, right, one of the purposes of dating is marriage. The other one is to strengthen your relationship with God, to encourage your relationship with God. So here's the reality. If, if the person is not walking with God, they're probably not going to be able to encourage your relationship with God very much. So what I would say is it's not okay to date someone who's not where you're at, who's not spiritually in tune with the things that you are in tune with, and hopefully your goal is to be close to Jesus, is to pursue purity and pursue him and the best life that he has for you. Now, I want to throw a picture on the screen. This is a, a picture of ox, oxen, okay? And what is around them is what is called a yoke. And so a yoke was something that would be used so that these two powerful animals, okay, would be headed and walking same direction, in the same direction going towards the same thing, right? Now, I use that example to share with you. That is the purpose of someone who is, who, who, who you uh, become, you know, eventually date, 
He's of the opposite gender. You want to head in the same direction that they're headed in. There's a Bible verse I want to share with you tonight. It says this. It says, it's actually 2 Corinthians, not 1. It says, do not be yoked. There it is, yoked. Right? Remember that picture of the oxen? Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, people who do not know Christ. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? See, you got to think about what is the best for your relationship with God. It's okay to be a little selfish with this question. You've got to think, what is best for my personal relationship with God? And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, what if I have a good friend that, that we like each other, but he doesn't know Christ? Can't I help him or can't I help her? Here's my answer. I think that your lifestyle and the way that you live your life can be helpful. But I don't think it's wise to try to help them inside of a dating relationship. Because again, you want to go in the same direction as the person that you are dating when you begin to date. All right, we'll go to the next one. What should you do if your friend is dating someone who is really bad for them? This is my quick answer. Hey, guys, I don't need your answer. I got this. Trust me. You ready for it? I'm about to drop the mic again. Call them out. Guys, that is what friends are for. When you have a friend in your life that you care about, you guys need to hear this. It's a quick answer, but you need to hear this. Friends care about your well-being as a whole, not just momentary happiness, okay? It matters so much more than that, than in that moment. It might hurt. They might get mad at you a little bit, but guys, you care about their well-being, and by doing so, you've got to call them out. You've got to make it known. You've got to make them come to light, because when you're in a relationship, it can sometimes be hard to see things clearly, and as friends, you've got to be able to do that for them. Don't be mean about it. Do it out of love. Lead with love always. Um, but you've got to call them out because, again, you care about their well-being more than you care about their momentary happiness. Amen. Guys, I want to I wanna make sure that you know that I also want to have some mature conversations tonight. So I'm going to throw a question on there. And here's the question. What do you do if you've already crossed physical boundary lines? In your relationship. Now, here's what we know. We know that the culture and the world around us does not necessarily believe the things, the same things that Casey and I are, are having conversation with you about. We also know there's temptation, and we know that God designed us. He did. He designed us to be attracted to the opposite gender. That's a gift from God. Marriage is a gift from God. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But there are times when we make mistakes. And maybe some of you are in this room tonight and you would say, I have made mistakes. I've experienced things or done things that I'm not proud of. And I want you to know, number one, that forgiveness is available to you, just like it's available to me. So I'm going to talk you through this. One is to ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is available because of what Jesus did. Not because of what we do, because of what he did for us. I want to share this verse with you. It says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful to remove your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, what I'm not saying is that it's okay for you to make mistakes and cross physical boundary lines that God has set up in the context of marriage. 
It's not okay. It's not, it's not right. It's not a good decision. But forgiveness is available. Which leads me to the second thing, and that is to repent. See, repentance is turning away from the mistake and turning back and headed back towards God. It's not okay to keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. If you find yourself in that situation, then here's what you need to do. You need to break up. It is that simple. If you are dating someone or you are involved with someone who is causing you to cross lines that either you don't want to cross or the temptation is too heavy for you to say no, then you need to break up with that person because both of you are not strong enough to handle it. It's just true. That's what you need to do. And the last thing is this. Seek help. you got to tell someone, kind of like Casey was saying, friends, right? Friends stick by one another. We can be honest with our friends. We can trust our friends. You can trust your small group leaders, right? You can trust people that are um, a little bit farther along in years and experience. And so I would encourage you to tell someone. Tell someone about your struggles. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's something that we can't defeat on our own. We have to ask people to help us. Maybe we need people to keep us accountable to, uh, to help us learn from the mistakes that we've made. But the most important thing, right, is that God does forgive you and he does forgive me. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Awesome. So good, Stephen. Let's see what the next question is, and I think it's a pretty good one, a pretty heavy one. How do you know when you are in love with someone? Um, all right, guys. We don't need you all to answer. We got it covered. Trust us. All right. We're going to move on. So here's the thing that you need to know first off. It's, and I'm serious about this. Love is not like what you see on TV or see in the movies or read in books, y'all. It's a lot heavier than that. It's a lot harder than that. And so let me just also say that the definition of love um, is different than just catching up. So I think this question is asking more of like how do you catch or prove um, that you're in love with someone. But I think before we answer that question, we need to talk about what love is and what the definition of love is. And a great way of diving into that is to look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. You guys have probably heard these verses before, maybe at a wedding or something. But this is so powerful. So listen to these words. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I think what we see in these verses is that those things listed aren't just feelings. They're choices that you make. So love is not a choice. It is an, or sorry, it is a choice. Love is a choice. It is not an emotion. Write that down. Love is not an emotion. It's a choice. And we see that the ultimate act of love in all history took place when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, guys. And that in that act of love, Jesus also demonstrated the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, he demonstrates love, demonstrates love as a choice when he said, 
Father, would you please, will you take this cup from me? Will you take this cup from me? Then he says this, yet not my will, but yours be done. Not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus chose to face the cross. He chose to face the cross for us, even though his humanity did not want to. He did not want to, but he so loved the world. He so loved us that he chose to die on the cross for our sins. He chose to. His humanity didn't want to, but he loved us so much that he died for us. And so now we're seeing, we're seeing that love is a choice. It's more than just a feeling and that feeling of butterflies in your stomach. It is a choice. So let's answer the question, how do you know? How do you know when you're in love with someone? Uh, meaning what test do you do, I guess, to prove um, that you love someone? So what you need to know um, in that is when your needs go unmet, you don't look to someone else to meet them. When your needs go unmet, they simply go unmet. And here's why that is important. If love is a choice, it means that true love chooses the other person over yourself. It means that always you will choose to be a sacrificial servant for the other person. In every instance, in every moment, always, you will love someone else. You will put someone else before yourself. You choose, because that's hard as humans. It's really easy to think of ourselves first. But when you truly love someone, you are willing to serve them, to love them, to put their needs above your own. And again, you don't go, when you don't have your needs met, you don't go somewhere else trying to get them met, okay? Like I would not like if I am emotionally met, my needs aren't being met or whatever, I would never go to another person other than my spouse to have those things met. They just simply go unmet because my goal is to make sure that the person in my life that I care about and I love, that I can serve them and I can put them above myself. Does that make sense? You guys following that? Cool. Amen. Here's the question. How far is too far physically? Where in the Bible does God talk about this? Now, before I answer that question, I want to show you a picture or a diagram, if you will. I want you to check this out. Okay? I want you to think about something. And I don't want you to, again, I want to have a mature conversation tonight. All right, so listen up. The problem with this question, the problem with this question is that it centers on a physical thing by which was always meant to be a spiritual, a spiritual thing, a spiritual gift from God. So let me explain what I mean. Okay, the Bible is very clear. It says this. It says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one body, one flesh. So here's what the Bible is saying. It is saying a man, you see that at the top left, a man will, uh, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, which is a woman, which makes him her husband, right? And then the two will become one body, one flesh. Now here's the here's what I'm what I'm getting at. The Bible has made has made sex and what sex was always meant to be, and the way it was meant to be experienced very clear. It is literally black 
in life. It's not gray at all. God has made it abundantly clear. Here, here's the clarity. Here it is. One man and one woman who are married can have sex. And that's the way it works. That's the way that God designed it. And, and don't, don't, don't miss this. God designed sex. He created it. The world has turned it into something it was never intended to be. And when we, when we look at Scripture, when we look at the Bible, what we learn, what we understand, right, is that sex is always and was always meant one man, one woman, in the context of marriage, that's the way it was enjoyed. Now listen, anything out of the context of that diagram is outside of God's glory. And it's that simple. Anything outside of the context that, that what Scripture says is, is not the way that God intended sex to be experienced and for that to take place in your life or in my life. So I've got a couple things I want to encourage you with tonight. One is this. Guard your mind, guard your heart, and guard your eyes. The Bible says it like this. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. In other words, set your mind on things that, that are pure things that God wants you to be thinking about. You've got to guard your mind, your heart, your eyes. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. Secondly is this. Use your scripture. Use scripture in the fight for purity. Here's the thing. It is not easy to fight and to remain pure in this world. It is not. It is not because what, what a lot of people would say is to do whatever you want to do. You make your own rules, and it doesn't really matter, but it matters a lot. It matters a lot because God designed sex, guys, to be a gift to a husband and wife. And so anything outside of that is using a gift, and it's, it, it, it's we're receiving, receiving a gift that was never been meant to be received in the way that we're trying to receive, to receive it. So use scripture. The Bible says this. How can a young person keep pure? How can you stay on the path of purity? He says, by living according to the word. See, the Bible has a lot of power in our life. And we're going to actually talk about a passage of scripture tonight in the group. And hopefully find out how powerful God's word is. And the last thing is this. And it goes back to the original question. How far is too far? Here's what I would encourage you to do. Ask the right question. I know that a lot of people ask that question. How far is too far? Because what we're doing is we're, we're trying to focus on a physical thing when it was always meant to be spiritual. And so ask the right question. The right question is this. Will this help or will it hurt my pursuit of purity before I get married? And if you know the answer and you do, then you say no. You walk away, you say no, and that's the way that God wants it for you, and that's the way that God wants it for me. So I want to share a couple things real quick. A verse says this, in 1 Corinthians 6, talking about using the word, it says this, flee 
from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What the writer of Corinthians is telling us is to run away from that. Maybe you've made mistakes you're not proud of. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. Break up with the person. Run away. Flee. Get out. Walk away. Run away as quickly as you possibly can. And then the Bible says this in Ephesians 5, and then we'll move on to the next section. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper to God's holy people. Now, don't get me wrong, church. This is not easy. I know that. But it is that. It is not easy to be pure, but it is best. It is best to wait until you get married. It is best to be able to give the gift of all of you to your future husband or your future wife. It's an incredible thing. And it's the way that God intended it to be. We'll go to the next one. Again, I want, I want to have a mature conversation. 
And so leaders, I'm going to need your help. I want you to listen because here's what I know. What I know is there is there is something that dominates a lot of the world that we live in. And what I'm talking about is something called pornography. Now, let me talk about it for a second. Let me talk about it for a second. No reason to laugh about it if you can be mature about it. Let me give you some facts. Let me give you some facts. I just want you to, to think about this, right? It is noted, it is noted that teenagers will view 14,000 sexual references from media per year. Listen up. Listen up. Pornography is a major problem. It's a major issue. It dominates a lot of people's lives. And if we're honest, some of you are stuck in this web of deception yourself. You are. Listen to this fact. 30 million people visit a pornographic website every day. Every day. Listen up. Listen up. Really? Guys, come on. The pornography industry brings in about $13 billion per year. And it all, listen up, it all targets the eye. That's what it targets. Now I want you to think about something, okay? Because what is happening is that media and internet in movies, right, they are selling to people a lie. They're selling deception. It is not the way that God ever intended you to function. Pornography is, is, is detrimental, and it's detrimental to everyone in this room. And I want you to think about this. I want to share something with you about this, this subject. First thought is this. Sexual sin begins with the eye. It begins with what you see, which is why, ladies, it's so important. Casey, Casey's going to talk about this. It's so important that you pay attention to the way you dress. She's going to talk about this. But it begins with the eye. Here's what I'm saying. It's very, very, very important what you look at. It's very, very important the websites you go to, the movies you watch, the things that you allow your eyes to see is very, very important. Look at this verse that I think is very powerful. Your eyes are the lamp of the body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But when your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Here's the truth. Some of you are in here tonight, and your body is full of darkness because of what you're watching, because of what you're allowing your eyes to see. And listen, I want to say this. We want the church to be the safest place that you can talk about things that you're going through. And what we know is that this is something that attacks your generation, as well as my generation, as well as Casey's generation, as well as every generation in this room that is represented in this room. And here's what I want you to know. 
You're not going to fight this and beat this by yourself. You're going to have to get some help. If you're struggling with watching this stuff, you need to tell somebody. Okay? Sexual sin begins in the eyes. And then it says this. If your eyes are unhealthy, your, your body's full of darkness. Think about what you see, what you allow your eyes to look at. It's so important. Secondly, is this. Sexual sin grows in the mind. It grows in the mind. It starts with what you see. It grows in your mind. You've got to protect your mind. The Bible says it like this. Set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. Your mind needs to be protected. You know, often I will pray and I will literally ask the Lord, God, would you protect my mind? I know the enemy tries to get my mind to wonder, tries to get my eyes to wonder, would you protect me from those things? And God does that. The third thing is this, before we go to the next question, sexual sin enslaves your heart. Sexual sin enslaves you. It is detrimental to you. The Bible says this, above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. Let me just say this. If you're struggling with this, if you're struggling with what you see, if you're struggling with the websites you're going to, man, I would love to talk with you about that. Um, if you're a guy, if you're a, a girl and you're struggling with that, man, talk to your small group leader, talk to your connect group leader. Casey would be happy to talk with you about those things. Because here's what we want, and here's ultimately what God wants. We want, and God wants, you to have freedom. God did not intend for you to be enslaved and in bonds and chains to certain sins. He intended you to be able to walk in freedom of his forgiveness. And that is what we want for you. That's what he wants for you. But a lot of times, every time, you can't get that freedom. You can't get there until you're willing to let someone in. Okay? So. Absolutely. Before we move on to the next question, I really do um, believe, want to talk about honesty. And guys, I think you need to listen to this too, just so you know and have an idea. And ladies, I know you've probably heard that word modesty and cringe a little bit because I know we're in a culture where it's about me and if when I'm going to make me feel good, then who cares what everyone else is thinking. That is what the culture is. But I'm actually going to challenge that thought um, right now. And I actually want all of you ladies to write down this phrase. I heard this from one of our, our, our one college pastor here at 12 Stone. And he said this in one of his talks. He said, protect modesty, protect mystery. Protect modesty, protect mystery. Modesty, y'all, is not about protecting yourself. It's about protecting your mystery, sorry, not about flaunting your sexuality. It's about protecting your mystery, not about flaunting your sexuality. So let me read this verse to you from 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, your beauty should not come from outward, outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So guys, women, I want you to understand this. It is in our nature. It is in our nature to want to be attractive, to be captivating and beautiful. That desire is actually, it's not a bad thing. 
And it's actually a reflection of the image of God. And it's an image that he stamped on our souls, women. I want you to know that because, guys, understand this. God is that. God is captivating, and he is beautiful in his majesty, and he has stamped that on us. So having that desire to feel beautiful and want to be beautiful is not a bad thing. Because you are, okay? Just know that. You are beautiful. And again, I understand what you guys are probably thinking when, when people talk about modesty. You're probably like, well, I can't help it. I can't help it if a guy has inappropriate thoughts about me. And you're right, okay? You can't control someone else's thoughts. I understand that. But you can control how you come off. Because how you are perceived is something that you communicate. And what you, what you present is not your intention. What you present how you are perceived is your presentation. So, like, if I were to go to a congressional meeting right now or go meet the queen and what I'm wearing, that would not be a good presentation. I would probably come off as a slob and unprepared and just not, like, doesn't care. So I, I'm literally in a hoodie and jeans to meet the queen of England. Not a good idea. How you are perceived is how you present yourself. And how you are perceived is what you're communicating. And so, fishing analogy, what the bait that you put out it determines the catch that you're going to get. So if you're appealing to the worst in a guy, you're going to get the worst. If you appeal to the best in a guy, you're going to get the best. And that, ladies, is what God intends for you. Okay, so again, I've said this before. Your worth does not come in how a guy sees you. Your worth comes in the fact that you are beautiful, you are captivated, you are learning because you are a reflection of Christ. Not because of what you wear. And so when you realize that, when you realize that about yourself, when you realize the fact that you are an image bearer of Christ, and that is where your worth comes from, that is what you will reflect. That is what you want to present. You don't want to present this idea of, I'm going to allure someone in, someone else, some other human in, a guy in. No, your purpose here is to be an image bearer of Christ. And when you are reflecting the best that you want, you will get the best. And when you appeal to that, that is what you will get, and that is what you deserve. Because, again, you are image bearers of Christ. So once you realize that, modesty is not just about what's best for your brothers in Christ. It is. It is best for your brothers. But, guys, it's also best for you because it's reflecting where you find your worth. And the only place that you can find worth is in Christ. Amen. Come so, on. There's that. <laughs> Come on. All right. Well, hey, you know what, Casey? For the sake of time. Because we, we don't want to cut into your group. Uh, I want to put a picture on the screen. And I want you to I want you to look at this with us. And uh, I realize that the questions we've answered, you know, you may have other questions. And, and, and we get that. And like we've said already tonight, we want you to know that this, our church, M12, man, this is the safest place to talk about these types of questions. And we want you to know that. Um, but all of what we've said kind of culminates into this picture, right? And so when we're talking about a dating relationship, when we're talking about someone of the opposite gender that we're attracted to, when the chapter of dating begins to open in our story, there are a few things that we believe are very important about every dating relationship. And so Casey, I'd love for you to talk about that first one, spiritually yeah. like-minded. Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of talked about this early on, but just that idea that the person you're with is someone that you guys both have the trajectory forward in your relationship with Christ. Your Both of your goals is to be the best Jesus followers that you can be, and 
you are both on a trajectory of wanting daily to be on a journey to learn more about Christ. That is first and foremost what he would have. And I don't necessarily want you to think that spiritually like-minded means that you and him or him, you and her, um, are doing like the same thing for your Jesus timer. You're reading the same things and you're doing the exact same things. Your habits, your disciplines are the exact same. That's not what I'm saying. But your ultimate goal is that you want to glorify Christ as an individual and you want that for your relationships. So your goal in life is to be discovering and learning more about who you are in Christ and just of who our Heavenly Father is. Yes. And so this uh, second one says socially above reproach. Here's what I would say about that, guys, is pay attention to the way that the person you're interested in, pay attention to how they treat people. Pay attention to how they treat their parents. That's a big deal. So look at that. That's an, that's an important thing to look at. When it says socially above reproach, it means, man, how do they, do they treat people with kindness? Do they treat people with encouragement, respect, honor, dignity, right? Because if, if, if the person that you're interested in does not, what makes you think that they're going to treat you better? So think about that. Another thing is physically pure. We've talked a lot about this. Purity is not easy, but it is best. And when it comes to purity, you've got to pray about it. You've got to be in the Word about it. How can a young man keep this way pure? By living according to the Word. And you've got to, you've got to have people in your life that will help keep you accountable, that will help keep you on that trajectory. Remember that option, right, going in the same direction. And lastly, emotionally guarded. Guys, here's the thing. You've got to be careful how much of yourself you share with someone else. You've got to be guarded. You've got to be guarded about what you tell people. You've got to be guarded about what you entrust to people. And, and if you do that, right, and this is not all about what you do, but these are kind of the nuts and bolts, if you will, the practical side of dating and of relationships when that opens a new, a new story. But if you have these four things, we would say that your dating relationship is, is going to be very healthy. And, and a very healthy relationship is going to honor God, and it's going to honor you, and it's going to honor the other person. And that's ultimately what God wants for you, and that's ultimately what we want.